and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about David Fincher's Zodiac. Excuse me. Uh, it's about uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman, and I am joined by my friend, Batman correspondent. He just ordered a slice of pumpkin pie. It's Nick Menta. Nick, what's going on? Josh, stop. You're not my father. <laughs> <laughs> oh god man uh man bruce wayne i i'll get into it he not seems enough. happy right he's well adjusted nothing no. bad happening well there's not enough of him in this movie for me but also just like a total dick um for, <laughs> for 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 a lot of it but uh matt reeves is uh the batman a movie i'm very excited to talk about uh as some of you might know nick and i have been uh you know we did a little bit of project talking about four other batman movies leading up to this but uh have been anticipating this one for a while it uh again like i said uh co-written by matt reeves directed by matt reeves uh a long gestating project with robert pattinson in the title role but uh just a a mammoth of a movie that is uh nearly three hours long and is just like incredibly incredibly uh sprawling and uh just a a lot to talk about uh with this one uh as as we kind of noted i mean it, it's 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 a gloomy bruce rain uh, uh played by as played by robert pattinson he's uh at the start of this movie he's only uh two years into being the batman basically though he's already has a bit of a relationship with uh police lieutenant james gordon played by jeffrey wright he's doing his nighttime vigilante thing you know beating up street criminals and stuff but think this the stakes start to escalate when a uh just a, a new figure comes on the scene uh calls himself the riddler he is played by paul dano he starts just murdering a lot of the city's top officials uh whether it be officials including the mayor uh, uh don mitchell uh, at, at the another uh police commissioner uh named pete savage a we'll, we'll get into the rest of them but those are the two that kind of kick off the events of this whole thing uh you know as Batman decides he needs to investigate uh, and is helping Gordon because it just becomes apparent to him that a lot of the uh, police force is corrupt and his his help is needed there. Uh, the, their investigations take them, you know, to a, uh, you know, a seedy, a, a seedy club that's operated by a uh, by the Penguin Oswald Cobblepot, played by Colin Farrell, in a truly transformative performance that we're going to have to talk about a lot. Uh, he, he he runs the Iceberg Lounge, and he's kind of a lieutenant to uh, Carmine uh, Falcone, who is or played by uh, John Turturro, who I actually didn't even realize was in the movie until we actually got into this thing. I, I knew who a lot of the cast was, so that was a that was a fun surprise. Uh, while at the uh, uh, iceberg lounge batman notices uh selena kyle uh played by zoe kravitz and he and she, she is the uh she, she is the roommate of a woman named annika who uh disappeared after uh who, who who's outed as someone that was having an affair with the mayor after the after the mayor's death and by, by the riddler and uh again batman's uh his his investigations as uh, you know the world's greatest detective taking the character back to his roots a lot you know it, it just takes him deeper into this criminal underworld as he is you know trying to uh kind of sort through all of this corruption in the police force and how they tie into the falcone and all these mobsters and uh you know anybody also has his own kind of uh, cat and mouse game going on with catwoman herself uh selena kyle and uh just a lot of different uh a lot of different tracks going on in this movie as he is trying to chase the riddler but also kind of chase this uh just wave of corruption uh nick i w- want to ask you first uh i i know you like the movie and i'm curious though because th- there's plenty to talk about that i didn't already touch on yet with the look of this movie and its feel and how it's uh, obviously kind of gloomy we touched on the fact that like we this is a very very uh sullen dark bruce rain it's so it's a mode we know robert pattinson can do but i'm curious i'm not asking you because god knows enough podcasts are already ranking the batman movies i'm not gonna i, I don't really feel the need i don't want to do that either no yeah, yeah we, we already talked about enough of them 
people can go decide how much we like a lot of those other ones. But I want to know, because we just talked about a lot of Batman movies, and I know you've seen all of them several times, I want to know what you got out of this movie uh, that felt uh, unique and new to you. That's a good question. So I think a lot of times when, I shouldn't say a lot of times, this is sort of a new phenomenon. When you make enough of this stuff and you have to continually reboot it, you have to figure out new ways into the characters, right? So Reeves and Pattinson were very upfront about that, being like, well, we're examining everything that's come before and then we need our new way in. And so we talked about Moody Bruce Wayne off the top. This is not something we've necessarily gotten on film before where he's this sort of detached and whispery and let's just use the word emo. He's emo Bruce Wayne. Like that was the joke from the trailers, but that's really what plays out here. Literally has eye makeup on, which I mean, I guess to be fair, a lot of Batman probably do under the suit from what you can see with their eyes, but he's actually wearing it. My chemical Batman. Look at those bags. And I'll be honest with you, like that, that version of Bruce Wayne is not my cup of tea. Like when I think of Robert Pattinson playing Bruce Wayne, what I really think of is Robert Pattinson playing Neil in Tenet playing Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. That's what I would be here for. Like the and one we redeeming about, part of Tenet and we couldn't even get it here. You know? Right. Now we can talk about how maybe that is in his future based on, on the way the film ends and, and what a potential mm-hmm. arc for this character might be in the movie. But in terms of new things I got out of that, that's something I hadn't seen before out of a Bruce Wayne. Uh, This is obviously a shockingly new take on the Riddler. Um, I think this character in other mediums has been pointing in this way for a little while, kind of like a jigsaw figure. But as you and I talked about in the run up to this movie from the very first trailer, it was very apparent that Matt Reeves was going to make a David Fincher film with Batman characters, um, which appeals to me. So, I mean, you watch this and it's hard not to think you mentioned Zodiac off the top. It's hard not to see elements of seven spread all throughout the film. That was neat. Um, Seeing for the first time the Catwoman, Carmine Falcone relationship on film. So there's a lot of things. Matt Reeves is really exceptionally well-read in his his Batman history. And so much of, you know, the histories of all of these characters show up for the first time in film or show up with a new twist on them in film. So He's clearly pulling from year one. He's clearly pulling from the long Halloween. There's a lot that he's doing. And so it's always neat to see some of that stuff pop up. There are things I didn't like, but on the whole, this movie, this movie satisfies most of my bad fandom. Let's put it that way. For the uninitiated, when you say year one, is this is a comic book run that uh, follows Batman's first year as Batman? Yeah, that's okay. highly influential. It's like, you know, if you had like a Mount Rushmore of Batman comic books, that would be on it. It was written by Frank Miller. It heavily influenced Batman Begins and it heavily influences this movie as well. Right. It's funny, you know, year one, because that's kind of one of my big takeaways from this is that I appreciate that it's not exactly year one or a Batman origin story because, uh, right. and Matt Reeves has talked about that in interviews, how it's like we didn't need to see his parents get murdered again. Uh, but like he was very intentional uh, in the one interview I've listened to him with uh, Nick's favorite cultural critic sean fennessy uh he talked about <laughs> his uh he talked about how they wanted to pick a very particular point in time where uh they were they were like we he was smart enough to know what he's heard all the critics he knew he didn't need to show the parents getting murdered again but he was like what what can i do that would be new how about a batman that's like new on the job but he's already on the job and mm-hmm. so i i think i think i really did appreciate that but at the same time and i should know what i'm getting into when i see those trailers and i'm and i'm not not a fan of those david fincher movies but i think my initial reaction was this was darker than i thought uh and i think you you, you kind of set me straight a little bit when i tried to say it felt 
to visually like maybe no one's movies. And uh, I guess they're closer to those maybe than they are to the four we just talked about, but right. it's, 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 it's certainly different enough in that regard. I think it was make, maybe just a little bit of like whiplash for me uh, to go from watching those four movies, but not rewatching the Nolan movies in between and just going straight from that to this and being like a little like, oh man, like, was I ready to jump into this darkness? So you mean, you mean Arnold Schwarzenegger to, to Paul Dano's <laughs> Riddler didn't, that didn't, hold up for you that there was not a clear through line and how those things connected mm, maybe not but again I'm, I'm not even gonna hate on arnold i mean that was not a good movie but like i i i i, I actually did, I, I didn't i did not enjoy him in that movie but my thing was like man like i wanted it to like do more things to like stand out on its own and you mentioned pattinson I mean, he, he's someone that like it just ever since he's been announced as batman like we've been talking about him a lot i know you did a little bit of homework on him over the last couple of years and watched some of his other stuff I've, I've, I've said this before on the podcast. I've never watched a second of a Twilight movie. I've just become a fan of Robert Pattinson through everything he's done since then and how he's like almost taken upon himself up until this point to like save independent cinema for the last 10 years. He hasn't made a movie like this until, or I guess until Tenet. He hasn't really done anything big budget in a while. So I see what he did in Tenet where he's very charming. I see what he's done in uh, just all of these other independent movies up until that point where he's giving really interesting performances. I'm like, I'm really excited to see this Bruce Wayne. So I think I was a little partially discouraged after my first viewing when I saw him as like, uh, when I when I was like, man, like we got like 10 lines from Bruce Wayne in this movie. The rest of it's Batman. Right. How In a three hour movie, how do we not have more time for Bruce Wayne? This is one of actually the more interesting actors working today. I wanted to see him do more of that. And I think that was why I was a little upset, but I watched it. I, I went to the movie again last night. I read a lot of coverage and the one way that, thing I kind of saw a couple of different places that helped recontextualize the whole thing for me that made me respect the whole operation a little bit more was that it was, uh, if you think of it as a Bruce Wayne origin story, not a Batman origin story. And just because like, it's clear that like this version of the character just doesn't really know who he is when he's not in the suit. And, Correct. but, but he, but he kind of comes to realize like, you know, by the end, like, Hey, maybe I need to like actually get back to community. And I need to think about a little bit about like, uh, what some people are taking from my Batman exploits. And, when, when you think about it that way and how it kind of leads into him getting to the place he is at the end of the movie, it gives like, you kind of hit it earlier. Maybe it maybe gives me some hope uh, as to like what kind of Bruce Wayne we might get if they make another one of these movies and a little more like appreciation for like what this movie did storytelling wise, even if like a version of the story where Batman is not that emo is maybe not my favorite kind of Batman, but I still like kind of can, it, it helped me respect the movie as a whole when I thought about it more and how Matt Reeves decided I'm going to, do my own spin on pick a very unique point in time from which to like actually kind of capture this guy. And that is kind of like my big takeaway. It's like, that is how they did something different. And it might not be like my favorite point in this, what in what this timeline ultimately ends up being, but it kind of was a way in which it did feel different from anything that I've seen in any of the other Batman movies I have seen. This kind of feels like a case where they're telling a confidence story and they're telling the one they want to tell. It's just not that much fun to sit through. And I don't mean that, as a whole, I mean, you've already sat through it a lot. So it's, I've sat through it. I sat through it three times. It's not not that big. It's not that big of a problem for Nick, but you get his overall point. Um, But I don't mean that about the film. I mean, about the scenes with Rob as Bruce, like that's not a fun hang. Now, admittedly, it's not supposed to be. So like, there's this fundamental tension between like, well, we need to express these elements of the character, but like, are you really going to enjoy it? Robert Pattinson does significantly more. This is the first, this is really new. He does significantly more acting inside the bat suit than he does out of it. And I can't remember a Batman performance where other than maybe Adam West, where that's ever been the case. Mm. Like he's really, he feels like he's acting with a suit on what he's in the Bruce Wayne role. Like granted all of his dialogue throughout the three hours 
He's short and clipped and kind of whispered, but there's not a lot of range or dynamism to his Bruce Wayne performance. Whereas he's probably my already my favorite actor in the suit as Batman. Like hmm. he has a commanding presence about him and more, more than anything. And I have to give a lot of credit, not just to Reeves, but to the cinematographer, Greg Frazier, the way they film him in the cow, it's a lot of it's really up close. And so you're really like locked in with his eyes for a good three hours. And it reminded me a lot of like certain Tom Hardy roles we've seen over the year when he, he went through that phase where he insisted on like covering up his face in pretty much every movie he was in. You can see Robert Pattinson doing an unbelievable amount of acting with his eyes over three hours. There's one film, or not film, there's one scene that really stands out to me in particular. And, and it's to jump ahead in the plot when he goes in by himself to the Riddler's apartment. After yeah, the yeah, we're not gonna, we're not going to do a spoiler section. Every the, the whole world's yeah. going to already have seen this movie by the time we talk sure. about it. So you can say whatever you want. So when he pops into the Riddler's apartment, you can actually see the fear in his eyes, and like you don't typically get that in a Batman movie. Like typically, Batman's the one sneaking up on everybody else or striking the fear of God into other people. But there are really moments in this film where you can see abject terror. I really, I, I felt that it when he, I felt, I felt it when he went to talk to the Riddler and he thought the Riddler was going to just like out him. I, that, yeah. that was when I really felt it. And so he just does for me a significantly better job as an actor with the bat suit on than outside of it. And that almost never happens because that suit's been notoriously hard to act in, you know, since Keaton put it on in 89. And Pattinson's talked plenty about like, it's really hard to know if you're, if you're getting across what you're trying to get across, but credit to him, to Reeves and to Frazier, the way they lit it, the way they shot it, um, he was incredibly effective in that costume in a way that he wasn't out of it. Yeah, I, 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 I really do agree. It's, again, it's just like a personal preference of mine would have been to like have, and like, yeah, he's having to do more difficult acting when he's in the suit, but like, I don't even blame him for it not being more dynamic when he's not in the suit because they ask so little of him when he's not in the suit. Uh, right. and so I, I just, I, it was just, it, it was a three hour movie. My personal preference would have been to have gotten to see an actor. I really have grown to love, uh, do more, but I, I, I again, I, there were moments I really, really did appreciate. I was like, wow, like you're, you're doing a lot under the suit. And, and I, you know, as good as most of the rest of these movies are, I mean, sometimes it does get a little bit like, I don't want to analyze the voice too much, but sometimes that, that, that was a distraction at time for some people in the Nolan movies and, yeah. and. And so it's like, it's kind of cool to like, it's, it seemed modulated a little differently. Again, I, I'm not really qual that qualified on any kind of like vocal stylings to really be able to say much about it, but it wasn't, it, 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 I don't think anyone could argue it was distracting in that way. Uh, it was just, and it was inarguably like, you know, pretty, pretty seamless in that regard, uh, you know, as self-serious as he kind of is for a lot of this movie he literally calls himself vengeance unironically uh you know and even 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 they go even though that happens on at least like multiple I, I mean at least one occasion i think someone else i think one of the other villains does that at some point too penguin refers to him as vengeance uh, i think woman refers to him as vengeance so like it it sort of in an unspoken way reveals to you that outside of just the one time he does it on the subway platform you get the vibe that he's going around just introducing himself as vengeance to literally everyone he meets based on everyone else calling him that, even though it's not shot in the film. Sure. No, I, I, yeah. So I, I just think, you know, if you had told me it was going to be that self-serious, but I would still appreciate it as much as I did, <laughs> I would, I would have been dubious. So, you know, credit to, you know, again, credit to, uh, you know, 
costume designer, credit to Pattinson, credit to Reeves, his script, and and, and all of that. I I, I want to I ask, I guess, uh, I, I guess, I guess the, the next the next place to start would be, I mean, talking about this more as a detective story because that that was a, uh, just a notable, you know. A, a, a notable choice that they of a, a very intentional choice that they that they made in this movie there there is just like i people heard me probably stutter through it at the beginning there's a lot going on here a lot of different characters a lot of different kind of story machinations a lot of different things that connect in a lot of different ways i'm i'm i guess i'm i guess i'm i guess i i feel like i had an, another place i wanted to start but i guess i guess i guess my question with regard to uh with, with regard to that nick is like it's it's three hours it tries to do a lot of things how did you think they ultimately did in kind of like setting the scene and telling this as a detective story where like there's certain, a certain puzzle box element and a certain, uh, in, in a certain just like criminal element element of this that I think, uh, end up getting kind of that obviously end up on a little bit of a collision course. How do you think, you know, Matt Reeves did in like kind of balancing just a lot of movie. So I think you tie the overall plot together with, with sort of the arc for the Riddler. And I'm going to throw fake grades at this, but for two hours and 15 minutes, this is somewhere between an A and an A plus for me. I think like sometimes the best Batman stuff is really just a mob picture with a random guy in a bat suit. And that is what we get for two hours and 15 minutes, right? It's tight. It makes sense. The first two hours is really of a piece. Okay. The last 45 minutes is not. And that's where I think the film goes off the rails. And that's where this depiction of the Riddler goes off the rails for me. They're very much connected. So like, I would tell you that you have two hours and 15 minutes of a really coherent film noir. Okay. And then you have 45 minutes of um, like sort of a questionable disaster film. Right. And it's just, this thing takes a left-hand turn. So following the interrogation scene, which I loved, which I will rewatch ad infinitum and, and which I think was even ballsy to attempt given how much of a kind of a borrow ripoff, whatever you want to call it. It was from the interrogation scene in the dark Knight in 2008, but everything after that, this film takes a really hard left turn and really kind of loses me. So it's incredibly effective for two thirds of the film only to wind up with the end where you go, this doesn't feel like the movie I just spent two hours watching. Okay, actually, I, I did realize how I wanted to frame that discussion, but I think you set it up well anyway. So I had the thought earlier where uh, I, I went back on Letterboxd and I, and I read my review of Joker, a movie that we talked about uh, quite some time ago that inexplicably got nominated for 11 Oscars. And it's that like- we both think is trash, by the way. I mean, yeah, I, I, it's just so weird to think about that now and like how we didn't like that movie and it got nominated for 11 Oscars. And now it's like, I mean, how, how, how does a movie like that get nominated for? I, I have no idea. Like we're so early in the year. It's just weird that one got- Great like, soundtrack, whole, nothing else. I got I got a whole awards push and it was a fall release. So I, I, I don't really have an interest in having a discussion with how many Oscars the Batman will or will not get nominated for, but it's just very- very strange to imagine that like in theory joker's probably gonna end up with like twice as many uh but but regardless i think one of my big problems with the joker is that like it had a lot to say about the world it was trying to in some ways it was trying to be timely uh yeah. you know in talking about a lot of different kind of things whether it be uh mental illness violence i mean just uh toxic masculinity wherever it, it felt like it had a lot of things to say and i didn't think it said any of them that well and it like it just it was a movie that made you feel bad for really to, to no good end and I'm wondering, like, my thought was like this movie. Similarly, like, it's it feels timely in its own way, and that like, and but it's, except it was kind of conceived of almost like you know, I don't know. I, I 
I, I, I see, I, I saw a couple of reviews like name check January 6th. And obviously this was filmed even like uh, on, on largely even filmed before that. Um, I guess I'm thinking more of like, whether we want to talk about uh, get into the QAnon of it all, or yeah. the, just like, I mean, just like, you know, cops being bad of it all. Um, the it's doing a lot of stuff there. And I'm wondering like, cause you said a lot of this movie wasn't a, and a lot of this movie is focusing on things like that. How do you think this this movie? I, again, I'm not accusing it of like ripping stuff straight from the headlines. I'll give it more credit than that and say like, look, uh-huh. it was it, it was able to kind of be timely on its own merits. I'm wondering for a movie that again is aspiring to be a lot of things in the similar that way that Joker did and did not do so successfully in our opinions. How do you think this movie did? And like again, like I said, uh, melding all those different things. But like, why do you think it is more successful and probably in like you know dealing with certain weighty themes that like. Uh, you know, last four movies we talked about on the podcast were only like mildly interested in doing so for the most part. This one like aspires to more in certain ways and it's just more successful than something like Joker, which just got like so many accolades. Right. So corruption, if you want to start there, corruption certainly not new right, right, right. in American politics or, you know, Gotham politics, right? So corruption is always going to be a, star, a part of a story in Gotham. I think more as it pertains to the Riddler, this the end of the film feels like less of an update on a character for 2022 than 2022 directly impacting that character, right? And and granted, I'm, I'm just using the year we're in now because the film was released and they've been working on this for three or four years. But I think you understand the idea I'm getting at where the Riddler by the end of the film, unfortunately is just like an 8chan domestic terrorist. <laughs> and I, I understand how and why Matt Reeves would have arrived at that. Like if you're picturing, okay, what's one of the most scary things we deal with in society right now? It would be the kind of people who get together online and plot acts of violence. And you go, okay, which, which Batman villain is probably most in line with internet conspiracy theorists. I can see how you could draw a line between that and a version of the Riddler that you want to do. Uh, your head might go to Joker first, right? I, I guess. Um, and, and that's what I'll get into in terms of like, here's why I don't like it for the character. There's a reason I don't like it for the film. There's a reason I don't like it for the character. And I think they're of the same piece. This just feels like a different movie for the last 45 minutes. And the character's motivations really turn on a dime. Like he spends two hours doing things for very specific reasons. He's killing specific people for specific reasons because he has specific grievances, right? So he kills the mayor, kills the police chief. He kills the DA. He goes after Bruce Wayne. And he has a, he has a rationale for all of it. And immediately after the interrogation scene, you know, Batman rips up the carpet. He finds his last uh, message to his 500 online crazy followers. And all of a sudden, this very specific, very well thought out plot turns into blowing up a seawall, flooding the city and indiscriminately killing people in an arena. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at least thematically, before we even worry about the character, Thematically, those two things don't really add up. We have tight film noir that's like a gritty, mobbish detective story. And now we have implausible flooding of a city that can get blown up by seven bands. Yeah, okay. it was just in theory, like, you know, the best villains are the ones that have a point. And like, it's like, to a point, this guy, this and guy does had kind a of point, like, right, for a while. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then it's like, you just, it's like once it once, 
you know, it's like you kind of lose it once it's like, okay, well, we think this guy's a point. And then it's like, wait, what happened to that point when it's like all of a sudden he's going to kill a lot of the people he's supposedly like, you know, uh, advocating on behalf of. Right. Right. So that's, it's totally, it's thematically inconsistent. It's totally inconsistent. Here's my problem with it for the character. And this is more of like a, just a nerdy Batman take. When I think of Edward Ashton or Edward Nygma, whatever you want to think of, I think of the most narcissistic, arrogant, egotistical person on the planet. Mm. And that's the kind of person who would probably look down on idiots on 8chan, Mm -hmm. not be one of them. And so that's that's sort of my quibble on the take of the character, because I think there are really, apparently I just learned today that it's actually Paul Dano. I never knew that. I always thought it was Paul Dano. Apparently it's Paul Dano. There are, you know, credit to him and credit to Reeves for being like, look, I'm going to keep you under a mask for two hours and then I'm going to give you five minutes and you can go big with those five minutes. And holy shit, does he go big with the five minutes that he gets. Mm. But, you know, there's there's parts of this character he really nails in that interrogation scene. It's the petulance. It's the anger. When I watch this guy on screen, I go, that's the Edward Nygma I've always wanted to see on the screen or Edward Nash in this case. That's the version of this character I've always wanted to see on screen. And then it just kind of gets submarined five minutes later when you figure out like, this feels like less of an update on the Riddler and more of a statement about people in HM. Hmm. So that was the disappointment for me. After, after two hours and 15 minutes of being like, this is really great. You've then got 45 minutes where you go, what else could we have done? So hmm. do you think maybe like, do you think maybe like a better, I mean, cause this movie is long. I mean, not that I yeah. ever really felt the need to like get out of it. Do you think it could have just like, you know, and did some and did something somewhere like with you know i think there was a different way to resolve this and part of me thinks that the reason that this played out the way it did is because if this movie ends with riddler shooting falcone and going to jail and having some sort of like philosophical confrontation with batman in the jail and then you just cut to the last scene with bruce and selena For lack of a better way to put this, there's no superhero payoff where he gets to go punch a bunch of people and save the day. Or where he would have been a really quiet ending. Or he gets to lead those people off through the water at the end, which I think is a a place they wanted to get to, you know, uh, compared to- Right, could could you have done, it feels like you also need to do one or the other. Maybe you do the flood, but you don't do the mass shooting. Maybe you do the mass shooting, but you don't do the flood. But the both of them on top of each other in that confined space feels- like too yeah, much. I mean, either way, you still have the Riddler going off and killing innocent people. Uh, I just don't know if there's a way to get get it get Batman to like kind of saving those people without having some kind of other big set piece at the end. Not right. that I'm saying I have to have a big set piece in my superhero movies. I kind of respect it. I mean, I, I nor am I, I think I could have done without it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not someone who complains every time a superhero movie ends in one. But I'm just. I'm. I was just kind of trying to think about it a little bit. And it's like, you know, one thing that felt a little. I. I don't even know. I know if I say half baked or whatever, because not that it was out of keeping with the character, but like it. The, it the, the the sequence where the with the bombing where Alfred gets hurt was edited kind of oddly. They did it out of order. You know. Right. So like, right. have it be a surprise or whatever. And it's like maybe there's a way to do that a little more directly where that has a little more emotional impact and uh, where you just kind of like. I don't know. You, you get to some other kind of scene with the Riddler soon after. Cause I do, I do think it's like an interesting, uh, I mean, just the, the revelation at the end about like, you know, uh, the, the revelation is pretty powerful. When you say interrogation scene, you're talking about him and Riddler and Arkham, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And well, I mean, I know like you're, so it seems like your, your problems are more with like, uh, the character choices more so than, uh, Dano's, uh, 
uh, Dano's performance, performance in that performance. You, you didn't mind the performance, performance in the integration. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think it's faultless. This guy's been haunting my house for the last week. He's in every <laughs> friggin' dark room that I'm in. He's probably behind me right now. I actually can't believe this film got PG 13 rating because between the fucking mass shooting angle and like Paul Dano, just killing people with a carpet tool. This film is scary. And and he's really wonderful in it in all the worst ways. All right. So maybe like it's, it's, a, it's a cool revelation, you know, that like, hey, he thinks he's been working with Batman all along. He's kind of messed up. Like Batman's just kind of inspired something in him. I thought I thought there was enough. Maybe, maybe there's enough rich material there to mine uh, where, you know, you, fo- you focus in a little more on the Alfred thing and don't get as cute with the editing as you do. And I mean, it's an emotional scene where uh, they... It's, I mean, it's kind of jarring when Alfred wakes up with like his, his face almost half blown off. And, and uh, instead of like asking, are you okay? Like uh, Bruce is like, you lied to me. How dare you? And it's like, bro, he just like took a bomb because so, someone is out for you. Like chill out, man, for a second. So like Alfred that scene- looked him in the face and be like, whatever, I'm not your dad. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, again, like I think the acting in that scene is like very well done. It's the most Bruce Wayne we get basically in the whole movie as far as letting him act at all as Bruce Wayne uh, in whatever. But like maybe there's like a tighter way to just like have that be like the like just like that be kind of like the big moment in the movie as opposed to any other big stuff we get at the end and then have that have there be some other and then have the showdown of the interrogation and i don't know find some other kind of smooth way to end it where he does go off and help someone in a more uh earnest way like he ultimately does at the end i don't know uh but like again i i do kind of like the note they get to at the end with batman though i am in agreement with you like hey it kind of like it sells out the red it's how they much. get there yeah, 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 right yeah. because i think they land in the right spot where he realizes like i've got this wrong I can't continue to do it this way because I'm causing more harm than good, which is a, which is a familiar Batman theme, but like, I'm actually excited about that as an arc for the character because I'm hoping I don't necessarily want his Batman to change really not much at all. But like, you know, you have the scene at the funeral between he and the future mayor, Bella Riel, where she walks up to him and basically is like, you're not doing anything for Gotham. You're just brooding in a, in a dilapidated tower. And I'm hopeful that like the end of this movie basically says like, I'm going to have to be Batman in a different way, but I'm also going to have to be Bruce Wayne in a different way. Right. Otherwise this film didn't amount to anything. So it generally seems like he learned something. So maybe we get more of that in the future. I think we arrived at the right spot. There just might've been a different way to get there. Well, so- and I don't know that the last 45 minutes accomplished what they wanted it to. Okay, a sure, quieter sure. ending might've been better. Yeah. So let me, let me, let me ask you then, I mean, as, as one, to the, to the extent you did enjoy the Riddler, one thing I, I, I was impressed by in this movie, and this gives me a chance to move in a different direction. I one uh, irrespective of how we do feel about where it ultimately goes with that character. One thing I did enjoy was that I thought uh, this movie did a better job than a couple of these other ones we've recently talked about of like uh, finding a way to like seamlessly have multiple villains going where it yeah. seemed like it seemed like forever and Batman and Robin, they were just like, we have these big actors that are willing to like play these villains. Let's just throw them in a movie and see what happens. And they didn't have much of a plan to like how to like introduce them in smart ways that like made sense and give them the proper amount of uh, give them the proper amount of screen time to accomplish whatever it was they were trying to accomplish. Whereas here, I think one of the smarter things it does is even though like, I mean, there's really not a lot of intersection between Penguin and uh, Riddler at all in this movie. I, I, one thing I like is that it, it, it seemed like if you're going to have a second villain, 
having him be like what the way they use penguin in this movie as like a as like kind of like a middle manager middleman kind of gangster yeah. guy as opposed to someone that's just like kind of supposed to be on the same level that like uh inexplicably just teams up with the other villain it just made a lot more sense and felt like it uh felt like it all flowed a lot better than like any of the stuff in the in the 90s movies so Totoro is really the biggest villain of the movie right uh, well true yeah well yeah, I guess but, but that's to your like point, that. I think, because they have three villains, yeah, and they still did it yeah, better. Because I think it treats these this film treats the characters more like people, right? Mm. Like the penguin isn't necessarily even a villain in this movie, other than the fact that you know he's the penguin, he's a Batman villain. He just happens to be like a, a, a kind of ineffective middle manager mob boss, right? But he's really good at it. I was skeptical a little bit of Farrell heading into the movie. Skeptical but optimistic would have been the way I would have put it. Um, and he blew me out of the water. I thought he was all the comic relief that this movie sorely needed. You know, Bruce walks in to confront Totoro and and uh, Farrell hits him with that Johnny Slick line. I've laughed three times in a row. Like it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite lines in a Batman movie because it's just such a, a wonderfully pleasant throwaway line. He's like, hey, Johnny Slick, how you doing? Um, he's wonderful. Totoro is creepy as hell. I really enjoyed what Tom Wilkinson did with the same character in Batman Begins. But when you compare them against each other, Wilkinson's feels a little more like a caricature. Like it's kind of one note. It's good for what it is. Totoro in only four to five scenes gives a pretty layered, nuanced performance where you can tell there's a lot going on in that character. And so, so I would say he does a whole lot with just a little bit of screen time and conveys a lot of it to you. The best way I can put it is he seems really friggin' charming. Mm-hmm. And I, I read an interview with him just the other day where he, was, he basically described what his thought process for this was. And it was the idea of wanting to seduce you, wanting to pull you in. And then you can see how the violence can just turn at the just the snap of a finger, he's going to go from being this really charming guy to someone who absolutely kill you and not feel bad about it. He's great. Farrell's great. They're in maybe five to six scenes each and they accomplish a whole lot. So yes, uh, that's the strength of the movie. Cause I do feel like we just spent a lot of time talking about the various parts of this movie. I didn't like whether mm-hmm. it was Pattinson's Bruce or the problems we have with the plot or the Riddler but man, when this is just a mob movie and he's just acting as a detective trying to figure out what the hell's going on, this is probably some of the strongest Batman content I've ever seen. Well, and I think one of the other interesting things about that corner of the movie is that like is how it all how it all really ties into the to the um Thomas and Martha Kent story. And uh because I just think that informs like the rest of this Bruce Wayne origin story I mentioned earlier. And uh I love you just inadvertently describing the plot of Batman versus Superman by calling her Martha Kent. Oh, <laughs> why did you say that name? Um, yeah, but yes, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, Kent. Well, uh, Thomas, yeah, the, God, that God, that, that 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 was one of the most laugh out loud moments in a movie theater I've, I've ever had. Uh, the 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 Thomas and Martha Wayne part of this story, and in in so much as like I thought it just in, informed everything else that was going on with Bruce, and you know. It was just smart in that, like it, it found a way to like not just ignore the fact because this is a younger Batman than we've had at other points in other movies. So it makes sense he would still be even more haunted by their deaths at this point, even if we're told it's been twenty years. There's a lot of exposition that has to get out there at different points, and but like at the same time, I was like, 
I kind of like buy this as like something that like he would still have to come to grips with and he's going to have to learn it at some point and he's not going to like take it super well. So I appreciated that like they, and maybe it helped more that I saw this again last night and I was just able to like, again, have the mystery just like uh, a little more like um, reiterated to me and like uh, straightened out in my head. Whereas it can be a lot to follow on your first viewing, it's but it was just kind of, yeah. So like you're already having to like, you know, uh, just try and follow all the machinations between this uh, the gangsters, and they keep they keep referring like over and over and over again to the um uh, is it Maroni um yeah and yeah it's like they get, so there's just a lot of talking about someone that's like doesn't actually appear in the movie and Good point. That, and yeah. and it's like when, when whenever like a character is constantly getting referred to who you never get to meet that only makes it tougher and so like I I finally kind of got everything on the second viewing and it was kind of cool because like I was like okay now I kind of see how this all tracks and as its own kind of mob story in its own but like you know you, you you really like you learn a lot about Thomas in in that scene with uh with Bruce and Falcone and it's like I just think that does a good job of like kind of coloring what we know about this Batman. And I just thought, yeah, it kind of like works as a mob story on its own and you're getting like really interesting performances, but at the same time, like it finds a way to like kind of tie Batman to that. We didn't even, we haven't really talked much about Selena yet. And that, and she obviously ties into that part of the story, but it's like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Batman and Selena separate going. There's a lot of scenes with them separate from like those guys too, but like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm rambling a bit, but it's like this movie, like in theory rambles a lot because it's three hours and we haven't even necessarily talked about the Peter Sarsgaard thing yet either. Like there's just a lot going on, but I think it, it, it does all ultimately track. It's just like, it is a lot to keep straight at the same time. And I was, I was just fairly impressed by that where it's like, look, this has its own like political and mob like uh, interactions and uh, conflicts. But at the same time, like they, fa- they found a way to like, tie Bruce slash Batman into it effectively. So I just mm-hmm. respected that because it's in theory, it could have just gone off the rails because they bit off so much, but they were able to chew it all. I think that's fair. I mean, so we, I, we haven't talked about Zoe Kravitz at all yet because you, you brought up balancing this many characters. I mean, she's not a villain in this. Typically you would think, okay, you know, if you're going to have a Batman movie and Catwoman's in it, well, like, you know, if you take the 92 route, the Michelle Pfeiffer route and be like, well, she's one of the villains. She's really not, you know, if anything, especially in the way the story's told and even in the marketing, like she's the co-lead of this film alongside Pattinson. They really push the two of them together in the lead up to this movie. And you can see why. And they, you know, the, the film ends with them going their separate ways. But I really hope we get more of her because you can sort of see how the, the fundamental tension they have at the end is the idea that she absolutely does not need Gotham for any reason whatsoever. And mm-hmm. he does. And she's all too eager to leave, which is the rational thing to do. And he's not. But I don't feel like as for, for as good as Zoe Kravitz did, and as much as I like seeing this particular version of Selena, I don't feel like we're done with her yet. And so I'm kind of curious how much a lot of these characters, whether it's Kravitz as Selena, Farrell as the Penguin, how much are we going to get of them where they come back and they continue to be just sort of ensemble characters in a second film, a third film, whatever's to come? 
Well, we're, we're getting a penguin series, which I didn't realize till I saw it yesterday. Max. Yes. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, judge it too much. Uh, Cause I, I really enjoyed peacemaker and I didn't necessarily think we need a peacemaker series. And I, and I, I enjoy penguin probably in this more than I did even maybe almost more than I did peacemaker in suicide squad. But I, I'm, I'm curious to see like how they do that uh, and what kind of characters they like build up around him. Uh, but like, I think the fact that Colin Farrell is like willing to go do that. Uh, yeah. And like, that's just, I mean, God, imagine how much time he had to spend with makeup every day. I mean, it's just insane. It's a lot of prosthetics. So the fact that he's willing to do that for a TV series, which is going to take up even more of his time, presumably. Like, trust me, I don't think he'd mind coming back for a movie if they asked him to. I mean, I think Zoe Kravitz has gotten just like a lot of a uh, deserved acclaim. I thought uh, she was pretty great in the movie, and they're going to have to like think of other ways to bring her back, and maybe they can bring her back in like a different capacity because it seems like you know, depending on what the story is, the different Batman stories come for it. It sounds like my understanding is like, you know, sometimes they're more having to team up. Sometimes they might be at odds. It's based on right. uh, whatever, whatever the story calls for. So they, they could bring her back and just kind of find it like a totally different way to utilize her. And that would be cool. What I liked in this movie and like, look, I, people can go listen to us talk about Batman returns. Like, I mean, that movie is, you know, truly absurd and it's uh, fascinating to watch Michelle Pfeiffer do her thing. Uh, whatever that thing is, I don't know how to really ca- characterize it, but she's doing a thing. And uh, but this, but like uh, one thing I remember thinking at when I was watching that was like, uh, man, I, I see the really interesting begin- beginnings of a villain origin story or whatever with the way she's being treated at work and stuff like that and how she might feel looked over. It's just they went to such bizarre places with that. I couldn't really say they really held on to that same through line throughout, even if there's, you know, something potentially interesting to be said there about the way, you know, society treats women in the workplace and uh, overlooks them or whatever. Uh, here, like, I think this movie really benefited from just like just like effectively, simply like making it clear, like, look, she's out and giving her a clear motivation. Like she's out there to help a friend that was wrong. And that's all you really need to know. And you, she's a good enough actress that like you, that she, you buy that she really cares about this friend. It's like, all right, like she's going to single-mindedly try and do her thing. And she's not going to like let Batman or Gordon even stop her. So I, I, is less, she's significantly less concerned with all of Batman's priorities than her own. So credit to her. Yeah. There's multiple times at this movie where she's just like not listening to him. Uh, you know, you know, and like, and she, and she comes back to like help him a bit at the end too. I think, I mean, I've seen, I, I, she I saves him. Otherwise he's getting his head blown off. Yeah. And I, I feel like I've seen some people say somewhere that like, uh, they didn't think she got enough to do, which fair enough. Like she's great, but like, I, you know, it wasn't like they put her in a position where like she needed saving or anything like that. And I, and I, and, and, and quite the other way around. And then I thought it was particularly effective that she reminds him no, no more than 15 minutes later, like you're going to hang around here and this place is going to kill you. Like, the, the underlying assumption there being that, like, I just saved your ass 15 minutes ago. Like, you would already be dead if not. Yeah. And she just, like, I mean, uh, it's just, uh, she, she, she handles those scenes well. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, it's just fun. Like, I mean, because, I think she has to do, like again. While we, th- I, I agree that Pattinson does like great ma- acting under the mask. Uh, mm-hmm. He's still like being very stoic and gloomy. So I give her more credit than I necessarily would probably give him for like how much uh, physical chemistry there is between the two of them. Uh, you know, again, I guess it does take effort on his part to like be able to sell that too. And he's just kind of sitting there being emo under a mask. But like she has to like credibly she be carries it. right. Yes. She she has to credibly be someone that would like be into that such that like everyone is like freaking out over their physical chemistry to the extent they are. So I, I, I would just kind of like say that like, like, like she, she handles the action really well. I think she just handles the moments where she's like concerned about her friend really well, such that you just automatically buy this character's motivations throughout. She handles the righteous anger she has at Falcone very well. I think, I, I just think she's like, I just think she's pretty great. And I could totally, you know, see them wanting to bring her back in like uh, whatever capacity she wants to come back. So just, I was totally here for it. And just like thought like, 
it's it, it, that's the benefit of making this movie three hours. Like we can quibble with stuff they could have cut out or things they could have added, but like, you know, it's, it, it is pretty, it is something that like, you know, it, it gives so many different people their moments. Oh, well, I have thoughts on things that got cut out. Do you want to do that now or later? Uh, save that to the end. Cause uh, okay. the, 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 there's a scene that we'll talk about at the end that, like, yeah, that, one. That, that, that I think a lot of people would have been fine having cut out. And maybe there's other stuff you already heard about that like should have been left in. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, let's talk a little bit about the look of this movie. You mentioned Greg Frazier earlier. He shot Dune. This movie, like, I mean, has a very distinct look. It creates a lot of this seamlessly like slide you into this noirish world, not a ton of action, maybe by like certain action movie standards, but like a lot of what is there is like super well done. What really yeah. struck what, when you, when you left it after uh, any, I, hell after your first viewing, when you actually did go in IMAX, what stuck with you visually, uh, the most from this? It's the most beautifully shot Batman film I've ever seen. Some of the shots are horrifying. Some of them are just absolutely beautiful. You know, I'm trying to think of specific ones that really stand out to me. The, the one that blew me away before I ever saw the movie, I think it was maybe in the second trailer, is when Batman's walking through the darkened corridor when he comes out of the elevator and he's just taking on all the gunfire. And just as a brief aside, I, I find him way too bulletproof in this movie, but that that's we can bracket that. Hmm. I watched that and I, the first thing that came to mind was the the Darth Vader scene from Rogue One where just something about the framing of it and the way this sort of iconic character is marching down a hallway just mowing people down felt the same to me and then sure enough I looked it up and they both scenes were done by Greg Frazier so it's like okay clearly his mind's in a certain spot and clearly I'm I'm a fan of it mm-hmm. um that stuck out to me Early on, uh, when we get the first bit of narration, when he's driving through the city uh, on his motorcycle, I think it's the first time they start playing them uh, something in the way, the Nirvana song. That tight shot of the back of his motorcycle helmet as he's whizzing by is like a very fascinating shot to me. Mm. Um, the scene of Dano standing behind the man mm. yep. is just one of the creepiest goddamn things you're going to watch in a movie. The way this film is lit, I think I talked about it earlier. Also, the amount of close-ups they managed to do of Pattinson's face to allow him to act with his eyes the way he does. I think this is just one of the most beautifully shot films. I, uh, a Batman film that I've seen. I think the only other shot in particular that stands out to me, right? Well, there's two of them. They're both at the end. One is him leading everybody through the flood, mm-hmm. regardless of what I think about that scene. Undeniably well done. I feel the exact same way when the Riddler henchman drops the I'm vengeance line on him. And he turns around. So he's standing up on the catwalk of mm. Gotham Square Guard there, just looking over his shoulder, and he's got the smoke billowing up behind him. And fuck, is that a good shot? I mean, it's just, it's a really well done movie. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason I'm so disturbed by the last 45 minutes is because the way they filmed it, it's like, oh, God, this, this is really friggin' intense. As I as I kind of uh, copped to, the be- to at the beginning of the podcast, like I probably like uh, was a little too brash in my initial opinion that I that I sent to several people besides you, where I was just like, I don't know, it feels a little too much like the Nolan stuff. It should have done more to differentiate itself, and I think. And I and I kind of came to correct myself after I watched it again, and that like, and after I read more about it, I could just kind of feel like, oh no, they really were doing something like different here. If I go back and watch that Nolan stuff again, like, I mean, first of all, I mean, it's it's dark in a way that's just more effective than uh, a lot of stuff that just tries to be dark for the sake of being dark. Like you can yeah. tell they put, you can tell they put a lot more care into it than a lot of that stuff, and uh, and to, to create a lot of the shots that Nick just talked about. But again, I probably just had like whiplash from like just watching how colorful those. Uh, other movies where we that we just did the the rewind series on like 
they, they were colorful, but like that colorful doesn't necessarily equal good. I, I was just like, I think it was just a bit jarring to like all of a sudden be dropped into this and have to like kind of get my bearings with everything. But like at the same, but like, again, everything is like shot incredibly well. I want to talk about the car scene too in a second. Cause like, yeah. I, 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 I don't, I, I might be in the minority on that, but like, I mean, I just, I liked all of the other, uh, I, I just liked all of the other action just like a lot. Like I, I think, I think one thing that's probably going to stick with me more is just like the, um, the scene with the, um, the first, uh, the first Batman Selena confrontation in the mayor's apartment, uh, you know, that phone felt like one that like they, they did a good job at just utilizing a pretty small space. Uh, in, in so much as like a lot of the other action in this movie takes place in like larger settings, whereas that's just like basically in a, a comparatively small living room, whereas it, but it still felt very intense. It shot in a way that like uh, you f- kind of first start to pick up on the physical chemistry between these two. And it's very patient in the way it like uh, kind of holds it there when they're having to like hide from the cop in the background. Uh, and like that just like feels like incredibly intense. I mean, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm no, I'm no expert on sound, but like, I think the sound is very good in this movie. Like they're breathing very hard there, but it doesn't feel like it's done in a way where it's like, I'm not like laughing at like how they're not getting caught. Uh, I, I, I think, I think it's uh, a better nit to pick is just like the bulletproof stuff you were talking about earlier, which we can discuss the 15 different instances of that being kind of nuts. Uh, but like, I was, I, I was very, very taken by like a lot of moments like that, where just, it felt like the action was like kind of shot uh, in a way that like, just kind of. It, it, it captured it very well and was very, uh, very grounded and, but still at the same time, uh, not too hard to follow. Uh, the car scene is, I think, getting talked about the most. And I had two very different experiences with it with my two different viewings. I'm wondering what you thought about that. Cause that felt like a very different kind of, uh, felt like a very different kind of like car chase than what we typically see in movies. I'm te- I tend to be bored by action at this point and not to do like a Marvel DC thing. Cause like, I, I wouldn't even compare this to like, I'd compare this to other DC movies and say like, I'm just bored by superhero action by and large. Like if you're just going to give me like some weird long CGI set piece where people punch each other, it's just like, all right, like I'm going to go to the bathroom no. here. And I'll there hasn't been, a, there has not been any recent superhero movies that like had legitimately great action aside from uh, Shang-Chi last year with Marvel. Like they, they got that right. But most of the time it's, you're right. It's pretty forgettable. I think what makes this work is they at least whatever elements of this film are CG, they hide really well and they manage to, I seems like capture a lot in the camera, but that car chase is really long. He's really unnecessary <laughs> and is great. Cause like that, that would easily be the kind of thing that in another movie would be like this, this is just here for nonsense, but it's, I mean, the shot of him going up the ramp and coming like a literal bat out of hell with the car on fire and ramming into Penguin is one of the coolest things I've, I've seen in a Batman movie. It's completely unnecessary. It has nothing to do with the <laughs> plot. But if you're going to make a three-hour Batman film, great, let's go. Well, and so that shot is it. so that shot is an undeniably great and one of the more uh, just like visually distinct things I can ever remember seeing in any, in any superhero movie action scene. But up until that point, it is very long and it's just like a bunch of close-ups. And I've heard yeah. people talking about how that was a, sh- a, 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 they gave it credit for being a chase scene that like was, uh, was derived its tension out of like characters, emotions more so than like any kind of uh, actual maneuver you're seeing a car doing up until the crazy jump with the car on fire. I suppose that's true. 
though I just don't think that's my preference for my kind of like action scene. Like I want to see stuff like shot a little wider and that's kind of why I like seeing the car kind of jump out. Cause you kind of, you, you could see it in the background and uh, you're just getting a sense of like what a, one of these vehicles is actually doing. Whereas everything else is a close up of a, a wheel here, a guy's face there. What, what, what stuck with me more, I saw it in Dolby on my second viewing Dolby uh, as opposed to an IMAX, like they, they, they screw with your seats too. They're going to do vibrations in your seats when certain actions happening on, on top of like enhanced sound. Like it's not as big of a screen as an IMAX, but it's an enhanced picture and it's, it's enhanced sound and in, in chairs that rumble. So I was like way more into all that stuff leading up to the crazy jump on my second viewing in Dolby because I was like, I was getting like literally rocked every time there was like, a, like an acceleration of a car. That being said, it might have put me to sleep because it was like a rocking chair sensation. And I didn't tell you this yet. I fell asleep for a chunk of my second viewing no! last night. And I fell asleep at the end of that when they finally talking to Penguin. Uh, when, when Penguin makes the, like, when we basically like, uh, they're interrogating Penguin. He makes like the, is it what, a, good, a joke like good cop, batshit cop or something like that? Yeah. And he makes that joke. And then I woke up when he was like at Albert's bedside. So I think I got like one of those like massage chair sensations where uh where you end up like uh just like getting rocked to sleep and i was like very into the car chase and i think it just like i think it just like kind of made me a little drowsy and then i was i rallied for the rest of the movie at that point but that was like a good 30 minutes of the movie i just missed i uh, feel like yelling at you like the riddler where i just shot no at you like 47 <laughs> times it's like uh, that's not how this was supposed to go <laughs> but uh what's weird it's like i got more out of the car chase and then i think it like put me to sleep not because if it was bad but because like it just massaged my shoulders <laughs> but, but, uh, so that we don't miss it uh we were talking about just you know other characters who who do a whole lot mm -hmm. or turn in really good performances jeffrey wright as gordon um great. i just freaking great man like i really enjoyed gary oldman and i i enjoyed that version of the bruce gordon relationship i already enjoy this one more really because one of the benefits of not telling an origin story and just throwing you into this is that you don't have to explain anything. So like explaining things can be really fun. And that's why Batman Begins is so great. But not explaining things, you can just take them at face value and just go along for the ride. And like these two dudes are just friends and working together. Like this is really like the closest partnership you're going to find of these two characters. And you know, if, the, if there's two bits of comic relief in this film, they're, they're Farrell's Penguin and they're Wright's version of Gordon, um, where he has multiple line deliveries that just kill me. Like, like, trust you. Like, I've known you two years. I don't even know who you are, man. Like, I think he calls Penguin a shit at at one point. But, like, his, his deliveries are all great. The scene yeah. where, he gets, where he gets Batman to punch him in the jail cell so he can escape is wonderful. Like, I, I can't wait to get more of Jeffrey Wright doing this character. Yeah, and there's the there's the note where uh, he uh, well, after he hands in the thumb drive, he's like, "Oh my god, this guy's sick." That got one of the better laughs out of the that that exchange was one of the the, the few laughs that I got in my in, in my theater. But I, I I like the point you're making about them. Like it goes back to what I was saying earlier too about like just we're getting kind of year two as opposed to year one. But like we're, yeah. we don't, they're not explaining to us like how they became friends and. I mean, it becomes clear that they feel bonded by the fact that they both just understand and have a knowledge at this point of how corrupt like everyone else is. So it's like, I got no choice but to trust this guy. So it was, 
I was like, huh. When he's like, I, the first time I heard the line, because I, 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 I was awake all my second viewing by the time where I heard again. So I've heard the line twice now where it's like, I only trust you, I think was what he said. Right, or something like that. Says, yeah. Which is like almost kind of jarring when you've like seen so many other cops in this movie, but then it kind of clicks and it's like, well, yeah, but like uh, just about all of them are dirty. We're, we're led to believe the ones that are there when uh, Falcone gets arrested are the clean cops because all the other ones are probably on his payroll, I guess. Uh, but the, like, I was like, all right, well, like, it, we, we've just jumped ahead to a point where they trust each other that much because of everything else going on around them. And uh, yes, you can fill that in through context clues, but at the same time, I kind of just bought that like they would like each other's company, despite the fact that Bruce slash Batman is as emo as shit in this movie, just because like I like Jeffrey Wright's performance that much. And I bought him as someone that like anyone could get along with even someone as emo as this Batman. Right. I, I would like to hang out with Jeffrey Wright or, or Jeffrey Wright's Gordon. Either way, I'll take, Take whichever one I can get. Uh, better, better hang though. Uh, I'd say than the the one in the Harley Quinn series, right? Because you don't want to hear someone just talk about his relation, <laughs> his failing, his failing marriage, right? <laughs> that guy would be a, a good hang in a different way. Uh, yeah, different if, you, way. If, you, if you need someone that just drink with you, I'm sure he'd be down. Yeah, you know? there you go. Um, no, I, I really, I really, really liked uh, Jeffrey Wright, even though he's like playing it really, really like playing it more straight and down the middle than anyone else in this movie. He's doing so in just a very, very uh, likable and charming way. Who, who else? Uh, oh, well, we, one thing we didn't talk about yet was like the man. Uh, I thought Peter Sarsgaard killed it in his two scenes. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. Well, so he was one of the ones I, I don't think I knew. I, 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 don't, I don't think I knew he was. Gonna, maybe I had heard he was going to be in the movie, but then I forgot about it. And I was like, he goes away. And like, I was like, all right, that's so when he, he, the, the Riddler first jumps him in his car, Yes. Uh, they shoot it in a way where it's a little ambiguous. Like it doesn't seem like he's necessarily like murdered him, but you don't really know what he's doing to him. And then there's a few other scenes before the funeral scene. So at first I was like, all right, well, that'd be weird if Peter Sarsgaard just showed up for that, but he like did a really good job of acting. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. It makes sense. He'd be coming back for this based on what we saw. And like, he has to do like a, I mean, it's only two scenes, but I can think of a few better like examples of someone like getting to do a lot in like two scenes in a movie. Uh, like basically, I I think the, the other one I think back I, I just now thinking about it. I, have you ever seen uh, Sicario? I have. Uh, do you remember how much Burnthal gets to do in that movie in like two scenes? <laughs> two scenes, um, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a pretty good example. He he gets to like uh, he gets to like kind of like be the charming guy to Emily Blunt in that bar, but then he like is kind of like uh, but then is like kind of menacing when he attacks her, but then he's like arrested and he like has to like go through a different stage of emotions. I, I, I can't think of too many other like, you know, two scene things where the guy gets to do a lot, but here, I mean, he's not charming in the same way Bernthal is in the beginning of that cameo in that movie, but he's like, uh, I mean, it's a little pathetic the way he's like he's hitting pitiful, on Selena. Right. He's, hitting he's, on Selena. he's just a pitiful existence. Yeah. So yeah. He's like, he's pitiful in how he's like uh, hitting on Selena. And then, and then he, he basically just like, it's not as pitiful, but like he's, uh, when he spills the beans about what's going on at the uh, at the office and just does a an exposition dump that's very convenient but still like uh, kind of interesting where he's just getting being the guy bitching about his job as opposed to the guy just like kind of like pitifully hitting on the girl he goes back to be the guy pitifully hitting on the girl when he's outside the when he's outside the club and then you get like what he gets at the funeral scene where he is just like on one clearly going through it because he's been put in the situation by the riddler but like you know plays like just like scared shitless out of his mind like incredibly effectively in a way that like doesn't feel like even overacting to the extent Dano is later in the movie, even if I still like, I think we're both in agreement. We liked what Dano was doing there. Uh, I just, no think such that, thing is overacting Josh. 
okay. Well, I mean, uh, I, I mean, we, I think we, we, I think we can go back and talk about uh, any of the last four Batman movies we just watched. And, no like, such and, thing and, as and, overacting and, 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 and disprove that notion. But regardless, uh, man, I just like it's kind of cool that like they got an actor of his caliber just to, like show up and kill it for those two scenes. Like, did you have any other thoughts on that other than just like, well done? Don't lose your head, Mister Coulson. No, I really <laughs> enjoyed it. I knew that scene was coming. Not just because it was in every trailer, but because they released two minute. Yeah, they released. I I was ignorant. I I didn't watch it. Okay. Oh, okay. They put out the first three minutes of that scene just Uh, in its entirety on YouTube like a month ago. Um, It's everything right up until, or it's everything through when the car crashes in, right? So you're just sort of trying to piece together where's this going to fit in the movie. And, and that SUV driving in is like one of the more like Finchery seven elements of this movie where there's a lot of them. But yes, I mean, credit to Skarsgård because when he got cast, I think a lot of people uh, who were like interested in the film three to four years ago were like, oh my God, what's this guy going to do? And like, I think people had much grander designs for an actor of his caliber than just being in two scenes and getting his head blew up. That is what was written for him. And yes, he executed it. Okay, uh, you just mentioned the head getting blown up. I think that's a good off-ramp to talk about our nitpicks. Uh, Batman survives a bomb in his face in this movie. I'm uh, scarred. I'm <laughs> scratched. Um, like, he could have at least tried to get out of the way and then been concussed. He takes one to the chin, and so then the first shot is of his chin, and he is fine. So there's that. Uh, in, in the uh, Gotham Square Garden sequence, uh, as, you know, well shot as there are you already talked about one of the good shots in that sequence there is a hail of gunfire at a certain point at one point you see him just like basically take and i'm sure the i'm sure the bat suit's bulletproof and all that but nonetheless at some point you see uh i think you see like a machine gun just straight off going right into him and he doesn't break stride uh another point it seems like he takes a bit of a rocket launcher to the chest uh you know and that's i think that is what maybe knocks him out for a bit before he gives himself the adrenaline shot but uh, I think one of the people reasons people do like Batman as a character is that he's like, you know, he's more human uh, than a lot of others, doesn't have superpowers. And in theory, that should make him more vulnerable. And to the movie's credit, like, I think one thing I've seen a lot of people like, you know, point to is like a, a really interesting, unique moment for a Batman movie is when he he gets startled when he like shoots himself to the top of the police station and then all of a sudden like catches himself and like looks down. is like, oh, shit, I'm high up before he does the, the, the before he does the flying squirrel thing. Like, you don't you don't normally see Batman like get a little show any kind of like fear like that he does in that moment which is interesting so in some ways it's almost more realistic but in some ways like do you wish they would just have him take fewer bullets or is or would that almost yes. be unrealistic because like of course he's no, gonna get shot take, at take fewer bullets mm-hmm. just be but like you're in charge of the movie you're writing it he doesn't need to walk through a hail of gunfire like it's already a dark hallway you can just show him because like the way that scene is shot, I'm talking about when he comes out of the elevator, when he's on his way to, uh, to Falcone's apartment. He's lit when he's fighting them and the gunfire is going off. Then it goes dark again. And then it's lit again for the same reason. You don't actually need to show him walking directly through machine gunfire. <laughs> right? You can accomplish every part of that scene without doing that three second clip. So it's all about really just having like a little bit more restraint. It doesn't take me out of the movie necessarily, but I am watching and going like, okay, come on. And I actually think it would have made the gunshot at the end on the catwalk in the arena a lot more effective Mm -hmm. if that's the first time, 
other than the beginning of the film when he takes one on the shoulder, you could see like, okay, I could see how you, you fight through that. But like when you're taking machine gun fire and just walking through it and not giving a crap, it, it makes the actual gunshot that hurts you later in the film register less. Also, I guess he's not concerned at all again getting shot in either the chin or like any of his legs. <laughs> so like that's that's just part of like eh, this, you know, you could have showed a little restraint. Yeah, I, I picked up on that even more on my second viewing. Like, I guess, like I said, I was able to focus, just focus a little better aside from the, my nap because I, I, I had figured out the mystery. So I'm taking in some more of the visual stuff. And there were just like so many more smaller moments where I just noted, there's a lot of bullets going his way. I'm like, hey, 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 I mean, I guess like we can tone it down here a little bit. And I don't think anyone's going to complain, you know? Uh, right. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know if I had any other real... Uh, nits to pick along those lines necessarily now that i'm thinking about it but like it was something i've, it, I've got one big one. Ooh, what's that well did the kagan scene at the end okay well so that my the, the, the thing i was going to kind of end on with you was like where you want to see things go from here because that kind of ties into it a little bit yeah. and uh so is i think is it barry keegan barry keogan i don't know it's 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 something i Irish. thought it was kagan i could be wrong let's just call barry him Ke- kagan Keoghan. Keoghan. let's call him mr J. Well, so Barry Keoghan is a very, very good actor. Uh, you might have seen him uh, in The Eternals, one of the actual better parts of that movie, which was uh, not one of the better received Marvel movies. He's in uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, ironically, another uh, Colin Farrell vehicle. Uh, he's in Dunkirk. He's in, so he's 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 done a, he's done a lot of different things, and I think people recognize. And he was in The Green Knight last year, which is a, re- a really good movie and had a memorable like little sequence in that. So I think he's a guy that a lot of people recognize as like one of the more talented young under thirty actors around. Uh, and I think there had been some news last year that kind of broke about this, uh, and you might have remembered it too. Or I think some stories came out that he was going to maybe be the Joker, but then it didn't really. His brother posted it on Facebook. Yeah, I heard about that too. But like, I think. I think it got reported in some other things, but they did a pretty good job of like kind of calming the storm on that. Uh, But then ironically enough, as Nick put it to me, when I was trying to figure if I would be able to get out of the theater early, uh, he's like, they did a post-credit sequence, but you don't have to stay for after the credits for it. I, I, I quickly figured out what he meant because we, we see the Riddler in jail, uh, um, uh, just kind of crying because you know, his, his plan did not go according to plan. And then he is comforted by a prison, uh, another prison, uh, another prisoner in a neighboring cell that, uh, Let's just say uh, has a has has a couple fits of laughter, and I, this has been pretty controversial from what I've seen people talking about it, Nick. And it's like, on one hand, like I get it, like it, uh, it's uh, the movie objectively does not need that scene, but I think you know at the same time, like the movie is so long that like. I was listening to a couple other podcasts about it. And as I was like listening to them talk about the movie, I wasn't thinking about it. Like, I don't think it necessarily ruins anything. Did you have like a really adverse reaction to that? Whether yes. it be like this doesn't fit in the movie or like, I don't even want to see the Joker in this series of movies. What was your thought when they went there? Both. Um, okay. I think what happened or what's about to happen, Reeves has confirmed it's the Joker. He's also confirmed that Kagan had another scene in the film that he did cut. With Bruce. With Bruce. So had he left that in, and bear in mind, this is a three-hour film. <laughs> so like, there were, you, there were a lot of choices to be made about what stayed and what didn't. I think the scene at the end would have benefited more from leaving whatever that first scene was because it wouldn't have felt so out of left field, so tacked on, so unnecessary, so gimmicky, frankly. I think we're going to get it in two days, Josh. He's talked about 
wanting to release that scene sooner rather than later, I believe was the quote. And for anyone who's seen the film, uh, who remembers Batman going to www.rattalata.com, that's a real website. And currently uh, it is loading at 77% and has been doing this since last Friday. Hmm. My educated guess is that whenever this thing loads, probably a week after release, that's probably going to be what we get hit with online. We'll see the other Kagan scene and it might be easier to judge or it might give a little more context as to whether that scene that he did leave in actually works or not. To your other question about, do I want to see the, the Joker again? The answer is no. What, what We've had mean? a lot of it. Does that mean like you, you, you love I'm Heath Ledger uh, and well, you, you obviously everyone loves Heath Ledger. Uh, you know, what's his face? Jared Leto. Like uh, everyone's not so, not so hot on that. And are you just like, I, I just don't need it ever again. It's not ever again. And you know what? Like I look, certainly not going to keep me out of a movie theater and I'm interested in what Kagan would do with it. I don't want it taking up the bulk of one of these films. Like I actually think a really neat take on the Joker would be for him to be in three different films, but like in a role that's probably more of the caliber of like what Farrell's doing with the penguin Mm -hmm. where like you might get a half hour screen time, but I'm interested in exploring a lot of other things that we either haven't done in a while or have never done. Well, Reeves he, has already given a quote about how he's, he's like, he's basically not promising that, that, that he'll ever use the character, which I just find hard to believe. You don't cast Barry Kagan, put him in the cast list, refuse to say who he's playing, shoehorn him into a picture he doesn't need to be in and cover him in what's clearly very elaborate facial prosthetics to just suggest that he's not coming back. So I, I think we're gonna get him in some fashion moving forward. My hope is just that he would be kind of an ever-present figure that isn't the central villain of a story because in the same way that when you do something a lot, you need to find a new way to do it, just like Pattinson had to do with Bruce. Man, we've had a lot of takes on the Joker. We've had Jack, we've had Heath, we've had, whatever the hell Jared Leto tried to accomplish. We had Joaquin Phoenix, not to mention every other iteration of the Joker in comics, video games, cartoons. Well, yeah, I... It's just a lot, and I'd like to see something else. Well, yeah, especially, like, it'd be weird if they did it for the second movie, but after, like, that's when that's when Ledger Joker was in the, the last trilogy. Yeah. Like, so that would be kind of strange. But I feel like I, I, I don't disagree with your idea where it's, like, if he's kind of tertiary and shows up here and there and serves some kind of purpose but isn't, you know, the the main uh, conflict and the source of conflict in the movie, like that, that could be a smart way to do it. But then if he, if they did that in the second movie and then like he, like if Keoghan's like really good, then like there'd be like so much pressure and they probably just like make him the main guy in the third. I, I, I almost feel like it'd be too hard for them to like resist that. Uh, and like, I, it just, feel, it, it feels a little unnecessary to me, but like, I want to watch that other scene because I'm willing to bet that I would have sort of like, been less hostile to it had I already been exposed to the idea that he's in the film. Yeah, and it would and it would have like felt like less of a teaser for a future movie if it if it's not just like a one off or whatever. This feels like a really good movie, and that scene feels like a cheap Marvel trick that just it's just it's cheap in the film for me is is how I would put it. There's other things like you know, look, we haven't had a, a version of the Riddler on film since 1995. My quibbles with 
how this ended up aside, like it was fun to see a take on a character that we hadn't seen in a while. There's also an Easter egg in here um, that I actually missed the first time because in a three hour film, there's a lot coming at you. In the middle of one of the uh, exposition dumps in the middle of this, this film where they're going through uh, Thomas Wayne, who was not a good guy, might I add, uh, inadvertently, I suppose, getting a journalist killed. Um, there's a very direct reference to a Batman villain named Hush that like literally gets written across the screen. The word Hush gets written across the screen. And so like, there's just a lot, you know, it's a big world. It's a big Rhodes gallery. I'm, I'm interested in seeing, Ed, Ed Reeves is really well read. Um, that's evident in, in everything that's in this film. So he's clearly got a wide berth of Batman knowledge and I would be excited to see something other than the Joker. Is, is what it comes down to. We touched on uh, Penguin a little bit and how I guess we, we agree, like we liked how he was used here. The other thing I was going to ask you more so specifically about Penguin, did you get enough out of that performance that you think it's like worth all the trouble they went to for Colin Farrell to do that? Whereas, oh, like, yeah. Okay, yeah, you know, I, I couldn't help but think like I'd seen people, one joke on Twitter about how like, why didn't they just have Richard Kind play him? Because uh, he like looks at it like that him would, too. Yes. Uh, and it's bit. like, I, I feel like he's like more of a comedic actor, but like, you know, I, I think he might be, good enough he could have like and not who say he couldn't have done it uh originally like jonah hill was in negotiations to play both him and the riddler i think at different points uh it sounds like yeah. it, that might have broken down over money you made a face at that so it sounds like you you're pretty happy with how it turned out and you weren't like left wanting for any of the other uh possibilities or uh fan suggestions out there i was disappointed at first mm. when i saw what he looked like because i thought it worked in the movie better than it did on the trailer the trailer like what that's colin farrell well, I, I kind of was excited when they cast Farrell because I thought they were going to do a different take of the character where like he's just kind of a handsome guy in a suit. <laughs> and that's that's something that's been done in Batman lore before, but it's never showed up on film and it's not that well explored. And I've been like, oh, that's really like unique and creative. And like, I, I would want to see that as something different. So when I just saw him as like a traditionally kind of disfigured mob boss, I was like, nah, that feels pretty familiar. And then I was like, well, why are we getting Colin Farrell to do this? But, but Farrell's a good enough actor where, like I said before, I was skeptical, but I was optimistic and he hit it out of the park for me. Like, I really enjoyed that and I want more of it. So I w wouldn't change a thing about it. No notes, A plus, would watch again. Uh, anything else we haven't touched on yet you want to talk about? I know people really like the score. I don't really have a lot to add to it other than I can't disagree that it's good. Uh, I will uh, only it, think it of seems... Paul Dano when I hear Ave Maria for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah, that was pretty creepy, huh? Um... Uh, yes was yeah i guess uh, now i'm thinking about him again because like i i enjoyed it and then I, i'm trying to think if there's anything else i want to say about the last the last sequence um you know you know who's also a uh, pretty bulletproof was the was, was uh, bell real she got shot twice and then was like kind of like right there uh, uh the by, by one of the henchmen, and she was just like she, she was kind of upright again like you know uh three scenes later That's i don't know like, yeah i as far as that last scene again, like I can't dis we we already kind of talked about it. I I just I just can't I can't disagree with you in that like it, we really didn't need the Riddler's plan to go there. But I did like where I, I want to reiterate that I liked where this movie ended with Batman, and I just I just hope it's a sign of things to come because like I mean we just talked about where Nick doesn't want to see it go from a villain perspective. Part of me think is like optimistic that like I could end up liking this more than the next movie better than this one if like. We just get to like we, we get to evolve with Bruce a little more. Yes. And I that the, the thought of that excites me. And I think it'll like uh, make me appreciate this movie even more if they go in the right direction with the character. I don't know if I have a lot of other thoughts on where I want it to go, 
but it's like, I want to see them like let Pattinson spread his wings a little more. So uh, no pun intended there. Um, no, and I completely agree with that. Um, Pattinson himself has talked about things he would like to do. We mentioned maybe like a, a film based around the court of owls, which um, would be creepy as hell directed by Matt Reeves. Just picture a unshaven bug eyed Pattinson kind of hallucinating in a maze. You're, 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 Give you're, me that film. You were describing the lighthouse up until the maze part of it right there. Uh, yeah. He's gone and uh, seen an unshaven, hallucinated version of him there. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, uh, I, this could almost be my recommendation for what to go watch. Like watching Robert Pattinson in interviews is just like, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. Uh, he gives zero fucks when he's on the press, tr- the press junkets and just like says ridiculous stuff, but is also incredibly charming doing it. And it's like, man, like this guy just has a lot of personality. I want to see it come through, you know? And that is right. my hope though. I, I, I think he did what was asked of him like very well here. We gave some examples of it. It's just like, can't be easy to act under a mask and he does it well. So I just think there's like so much more that there's so much untapped potential with him as a figure in these kind of movies that I hope they, that I hope they go to. And I, and it seems it's cool that you're saying that he's like throwing out other possible ideas himself because it, it shows that he likes this. Cause apparently again, I never saw a frame of a twilight movie. So I can't say I watched that many of the interviews he gave them, but apparently he made it very clear. He did not like those movies. So so if he's committed to this as fun as it is, and as much as I hope he continues to like kind of go off and also do independent films, uh, if he's invested in this, then I do hope they make more of them. So uh, Nick, any other final thoughts before we wrap up? No, the series feels like it's in good hands. I mean, I, I know I spent a lot of time complaining about particular parts of it because that's my personality and who I am. But, um, you know, I, I liked a lot more of this than I didn't. Um, and I am definitely excited to see what's next. If it's, if it's Kagan as the Joker, okay, it's not what I would do, but um, based on what we've already seen, I'm confident in everybody's ability to pull it off. Well, quickly, um, uh, they, they can't yeah. bring the – they're not going to bring the Riddler back. Uh, they wouldn't bring him back as the main guy. Like, they obviously kept him alive. Is there, like, another Batman villain in the, I guess, the rogues gallery who you're like, oh, I could see them fitting into this world, or, like, I want to see an interesting spin on that particular villain in this particular world? Matt Reeves really weirdly brought up Mr. Freeze like within the last month where he was like, I can't, he basically was like, this would be the kind of character that you would think would not fit in this world, but I have an idea for how to do it. And which is like just a really weird thing to volunteer on your own. I already mentioned the court of owls, which is like a, a cabal of secret elites who have ruled Gotham the whole time, which very much feels of a piece with the kind of Gotham that Reeves is shooting. I would love for them to do that. They already directly mentioned Hush. That would be cool. So there, there's options. There's things to do. I'm excited about all of it. Yeah, happy to see what's next. And I, I feel a lot better like walking out of this than I did walking out of Batman versus Superman. Like I haven't been this excited about a Batman franchise since 2005. So it's cool because it's been a while. Yeah, man. Uh, geez, I... I it's it is as dark as this movie is again like I I like the note that it ended on because uh, what I told everyone after Joker was like man I just the first thing I told my friend Monique after I left that Joker for the one and only time I'm probably ever gonna watch that movie was like man I just feel bad and for a movie to be this dark but like actually like not really sell out its themes or its uh or its uh its tone in any way but still like kind of left leave me feeling like something different than just like ah bleh. Like, I think, I think it deserves credit for that. Uh, Nick, you spent like uh, over 10 hours of your life in the last week uh, watching this movie. Have you watched anything else you want to recommend to people before we go or something that could be a companion piece to something like this or anything? 
uh, finally just watched Fleabag for the first time. That's a very good television show. Yes, it was. Uh, season one, I thought, uh, here's my, here's my two, one minute Fleabag review. Okay. Season one, overrated until the last episode, which is really great and pulls the whole thing together. And then I'm an Andrew Scott fan, so uh, I was over the moon with Fleabag season two. Some of my favorite television I've watched in the last couple of years. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, if someone hasn't watched that, uh, if, the, if the thought of a hot priest pro- featuring prominently into a season of television uh, interests you, uh, go watch Fleabag season two. Uh, a couple, a couple, I guess, uh, quick things for me, I would say, uh, if you want to watch something like, like a very, very uh, different Colin Farrell uh, performance, uh, I watched After Yang, like a day or two after watching this, which is now on Showtime on demand and probably in some theaters in certain places. It's the follow up to uh, the director Koganada's uh, 2017 film Columbus. Uh, it's a, a very interesting kind of sci-fi film about a family that has to kind of like overcome the loss of their like AI robot who served as like a companion to their daughter. Um, very, very good. I would recommend that. As far as anything else I would recommend at the moment, I, I shoot, I feel like I had something else uh, in my in my head a few minutes ago and then it just left me. So I, th- I, th- I think I'm good on that. Uh, I have two films. I don't know if I shot either of them out on the previous Batman pods we did. No. Uh, Nightmare Alley, mm-hmm. I loved. I think you I actually did say it. That maybe was told, directly up my alley. Ah, maybe you might have told me that offline. I can't remember. Yeah, or because or someone else wanted it. But no, I, I'm glad you liked that. And just to come full circle on the on the Robert Pattinson Twilight career here, uh, Kristen Stewart in Spencer, uh, an absolutely fantastic performance by her. I I hope she gets all the awards that are coming her way. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's just like, uh, man, I, I I that's the other thing I would tell anyone that's like listening to this that really had just kind of checked out on Robert Pattinson. Cause I have said it a lot. Like there are people that understandably, like, cause I don't think anyone particularly like objectively thinks those Twilight movies are good movies, but there's people that just, I think wrote off Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart for a while now. I think they've like done enough work since then that people are starting to realize like these people are like legitimately very good actors. Uh, it actually, I think Kristen Stewart went a few years not making anything that was like super good up until Spencer uh, had a couple like weird choices but like is spencer is like actually really great um if it's not like what you think of when you think of a traditional movie about the royals it's done very differently like robert pattinson has like a a lot of other like really good movies too i think i think there was like a wasn't there like a reference to good time somewhere in this like they wasn't one of the stores like good time something or oh maybe i if if there was i missed it in all three viewings but i have seen good time I thought someone maybe saw like a like a like a awning or something that said like maybe they named one of these stores that they passed by like good times so I I don't know, uh but yeah there's there's like there's like just like a lot of other like really really good stuff out there from uh those actors but like uh I, I guess my 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 my, my, my one other uh, new recommendation I guess was uh what was after Yang and it's just like a very very like a low key calm uh uh performance where Colin Farrell just looks like himself so very very different kind of thing uh but a very very uh, worthwhile movie to watch as well uh Nick any anything you want to plug personally social media wise before we get out of here. Uh, yeah, I would like to plug the baptism scene from There Will Be Blood. Shout out to Paul Dano. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, you can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore Menta, uh, where I will complain about the Florida legislature. Oh, yeah, uh, man. Uh, it, we're, we're, we're recording this uh, as of like uh, 
at the end of a day in which like Disney made like three different conflicting uh, press releases to address their uh, address their response to what our, our government is doing here in Florida. Uh, very, very uh, strange times if you uh, live in this state like Nick and I do. As usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is at Pod. Podcast email is Pod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, I'm uh, really not sure. We might, uh, we might, this might be coming out like right before the Oscars and I might be just throwing out like Drive My Car as like the last uh, Best Picture nomination podcast I'm doing. Uh, coming up later this year, uh, you'll probably get to see more of Nick on the podcast because he's contractually obligated to return for sequels that he did the uh, earlier movies for, including Creed 3 and Knives Out 2. But uh, maybe we'll have him come back for something else before then as well. Though DC actually just like, I don't know if you saw this, they just like announced a bunch of shifts in their schedule today. So like, I don't think we're getting the Flash movie until 2023 now um, or probably ever because, you know, it's a Flash thing. I, I would like to insist that that film's never coming until until I am in theater. <laughs> That's, how we the That's how we felt about the Batman for a while. But like the Flash has had like even more like tortured uh, pre-production. Or it's just Flash. No, point. I'm just not convinced it exists. I think they're like, <laughs> I'm going to watch this film for two and a half hours. The credits are going to roll and I'm going to go, I, I don't think they're going to make this movie. Yeah, there's going to be like some version of Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck in it somehow. Um, uh, and like, so it's like, I, I feel like because uh, Nick spent a lot of time talking about Keaton, in theory, if that movie ever exists, he would come back to talk about it. But I just, oh, yeah. I, I, I also like question whether it actually exists. So uh, I don't know. Uh, that uh, I'd like to thank Nick for being uh, such a such a good sport and like sticking with me through this Batman project and joining me for this one. It was a long time coming because like, I think it literally got released. Like uh, the, this this movie got like announced in, in its kind of current, like, you know cast and uh leadership and crew and all that like in like late 2018 it was great to finally see it um i'm glad that nick talked with me about it as well as talking about all those other batman movies we did in advance of this thanks to all of you for listening and we'll see you next time